If you have your scriptures with you, open them to John chapter 13. We're going to take another look at this passage that I've chosen to use as the charge for the officers that have been elected and uh, uh, have been installed to serve this church, the Women's Council, our new slate of deacons, and some additional ruling elders. We did uh, part of them last week, and we did the others today because we couldn't get everybody together on one Sunday. So thanks for bearing with us uh, through that, and, and thank all of you who are serving. Uh, some of our ladies are rolling off uh, the, uh, the council. Maddie V, my wife, is rolling off, and Carol Fickett has already rolled off. Is there anyone else that I'm forgetting? That uh, Katie, yeah, the two Katies left have moved away, yeah. But, but we're going to be doing this regularly, adding uh, new officers. And uh, uh, thanks to the original officers who were not elected, they were appointed by the session just so we could get the thing up and running. And to Sarah, who is our past president, and uh, Katie Crane was the secretary treasurer. And it's, it's really important that as men and women, we are all serving uh, the Lord in whatever capacity uh, God calls us, if it's a, to the office of uh, uh, a ruling elder or deacon uh, or women's council, all that is good. All right, I just got shut out of my computer, so um, you may wonder why I use a computer. It's because I can't read any more paper. Is that a good excuse, Bruce? Sound like you're good. <laughs> no. Open your scriptures to John 13. It's printed in your bulletin, by the way, if you don't have it. And let's read. This charge will serve to uh, instruct the new officers and also for all of you who are members or regular attenders of Christ the King. So now hear the word of God. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. And God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, He will give His own glory to the Son, and He will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer, and as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other, Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so we read this passage last week, and and it is uh, one of those passages in the Bible that you either love it or you hate it, because it is placing something before the people of God that seems to be impossible. How in the world are we going to love one another the way that Jesus loved us? And it can seem impossible. It, it, it is, in some ways, impossible. But I asked you last week, and I'll do so again, that I think we need to take a fresh look at the scripture and try to understand it in its context. And last week, we talked about the context for this new commandment. The entire context 
and context is what gives the word love meaning. You don't just have a word love floating around out there in the atmosphere. It has to have a context. And the context for this commandment is the fallen condition of humankind. This grip that sin and death has on us. And so, at the beginning of chapter 13, Jesus gets down and washes the feet of the disciples. Even Judas at that moment was with them, and Jesus is demonstrating love in action to these men. And the commandment to love as he loves is in that context one in which he will be betrayed, he will be arrested and tortured, beaten, he will be crucified, he'll be placed in a grave and suffer the vagaries of hell itself on the cross for someone else, for you and I. So whatever love means, it has to be understood in that context. Otherwise, You can't use a modern framework and you can't use an ancient framework. You must use a biblical framework. What is he talking about when he tells us, love each other as I've loved you. Love each other. On the face of it, it can seem impossible. But the context helps us. Secondly, I told you last week that this particular love that Jesus is talking about is going to be um, understood best when he's not present. What that means is Jesus is not, he's, he says in verse 33, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer, and you can't come where I am going. So he's saying that whatever love is, it's going to be best demonstrated when I'm not around, when I'm not here present. And if you think about it for a minute, it makes sense. I mean, if he's right there, uh, you could fake it. You could act like you love someone. I want to impress the Lord here. I'm going to act nice. And he's not asking us to be nice. He's asking us to do something more than that, which we'll look at in just a moment, that is absolutely stunning, impossible. But he wouldn't have commanded us to love each other if it was impossible. Yes? He just wouldn't have done it. It must be possible. How? How in the world are we going to do that? The motive for our love, I told you last week, cannot, must not be something external. It has to be something that's internal, something that God has done in us. Love each other as I've loved you. Love each other. So the motive is not Jesus' physical presence. In fact, it's going to be in the absence of his presence. So today, I'm going to talk a little bit, very quickly, we want to end a little earlier than we did last week. But I'm going to talk about two things from this passage. And I hope that you'll listen carefully um, because this, this is at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian and what the gospel really means. This is, this is the core of Christianity, what we're going to talk about. Two things. Love is 
conditional and love is costly. So those two things. Love is conditional and love is costly. In our time uh, now, very and many of you know that the idea of unconditional love is very uh, prevalent. It has uh, a, a lot of freight in our cultural moment. To love somebody unconditionally is to have no conditions attached. You're just going to give your love completely to them freely. And there's some good things about uh, unconditional. We use the word unconditional. But when Jesus does this interesting thing that he does, and he uses a literary device called a chiasm, he says, love each other as I've loved you, love each other. So he's doing something with the literature. It's all throughout the scriptures. In fact, if you look at the Old and New Testament, both, these writers used these different literary forms so that as you read something, you would see what is the apex, what is the the thing that's really being pointed to, and it can be in a line, uh, like stair steps, they have different names for these things. One of the most common is this chiastic structure where the point the author's trying to make is put in the center of two other statements. Now imagine this. A new commandment I give you. Love, it's not a suggestion, by the way, it's a commandment. So he's expecting this to be done by you and I. Love each other, just as I've loved you, love each other. So what is at the center of his commandment for us to love one another? As I have loved you. Now that can seem like an impossibly high bar. Oh my gosh, he's saying Jesus is off again. Saying one of these things, how in the world are we going to love each other like he loves us? Because he loves us so much. And that is to miss the point. It's not as if Jesus could love you less. Right? It's not as if he could love you more. He's not talking about an amount. He's talking about a way of loving. And that way that he's loving us is not unconditional. Love, like faith, I told you last week, finds its substance outside of itself. It's like faith. Faith finds its substance outside of it. You can believe as hard as you want to that a tree is going to save you from from hell. And you can be sincere. You can believe with all your heart and all your strength. But the tree cannot save you. But if you trust Jesus, even with the tiniest mustard seed, the littlest particle of faith, your faith, as meager and as poor as it is, takes on the strength of the object in which you are placing your faith. So Jesus told his disciples when they asked him to give them more faith, he said, you don't need more faith. You need a kind of faith that's like a mustard seed. It's tiny but it finds itself in me, the object of that faith. And if you do that, then you can say to a mountain, be removed, it'll be cast into the sea. It's like, nothing's impossible. Because you can't move mountains, I can. If you put your faith in me, even the littlest bit of faith, 
will accomplish much. Well, love is like that. Henry Scugall wrote this uh, magnificent uh, piece. He's, a, he's an old, one of the old Puritan writers, and I, I did read it uh, a couple weeks ago preparing for this, and now my brain is still hurting me from reading it because those guys were just like Ugo and I were talking about John Owen. They hurt your brain to read. Because you can be reading John Owen, you can start on a page, and and for three pages, he never, there's no periods. It's commas and semicolons and more commas and colons and all these, and you just don't know where he is at any time because he's, you know, in his mind he knows exactly where he is, and people back in those days could follow that. Nowadays we can't, we have, you know, there's Twitter, and uh, just to show you how difficult Twitter is, they had to change from, is it 140 characters? Everybody's going to act like they don't know. Don't give me that. They went from 140 characters to what, 200 and something, right? Because we just can't, you know, we can't manage being concise. Well, John Owen was that way, and so was Henry Scugall. Scugall said this, the worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. You see, find out what you love. Let's find out what you love. And you can measure everything by that. Is it money? Is it fame? Is it uh, prestige? Is it uh, uh, a person? You know, I've got, uh, I've got this beautiful wife, and uh, she's a trophy, all right? Um, so I'm defined by that, or my career, my education, you name it. Find out what somebody loves, and then you take that away, or you maybe you hurt it in some way, and all of a sudden, you'll find out what their true God is. What do they love? And you'll find out a lot about that person. Part of the process of being a Christian is taking that inner look, looking inside and saying, what is really motivating it? What is moving me along in my actions, in my thoughts, in my words? What's back there? What's underneath? Be able to look at it in a healthy way, a critical way, and not become morbid or morbidly introspective. In other words, you just become so consumed, you become a narcissist. You don't want to do that. But you have to be willing to look and say, what has really got my heart? That if that thing was taken from me, I wouldn't be able to function anymore. And that is your God. That's the definition of idolatry. David Pollison, I'm going to quote from him in just a second, wrote a beautiful piece called Vanity Fair and idols of the heart. Look it up online. If you can't find it, uh, uh, text me, and I'll be happy to to send it to you. Um, uh, Vanity Fair and Idols of the Heart. He explains this in detail. So God's love is not unconditional. It has conditions attached to it from the very beginning of the Bible. And if you don't see that, if you don't understand that there are conditions attached to God's love, then love becomes just another emotion, a feeling. And you know, you hear a lot now, people are writing all these books on marriage and stuff, and they're saying that, 
You know, love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. Love is a decision. You have to decide to love that person and stick with them through thick and thin. And I would say, yes, that is true. But love is not just a commitment. It's not just intellectual. It's not just rational. It's not just with your head. It's also with your heart. And when God redeems us, He doesn't just redeem our heads, our way of thinking. He redeems our emotions too. And I hear people a lot of times, especially in our kind of churches that are real, you know, we're cerebral. We say, you cannot trust your feelings. What? But you can trust your mind, right? Your mind's never played tricks on you. But we shy away from our feelings when the whole point of the redemption that we find in Jesus, listen, folks, is to reintegrate our feelings and our thinking. You can't, you, you can't do without feelings. You've got to have feelings, and they've got to be healthy, and they've got to be grounded in the center of that chiasm. As I've loved you, your feelings must be grounded there. Your head must be grounded there. Your heart, whatever that is, must be grounded there. Your, your emotions, your affections, everything must find its orbit around that statement that Jesus made, as I've loved you, love one another. He's not creating some high bar. He's changing the trajectory of what we look at. Can you see that? He's asking us to quit looking at ourselves. What if he had said this? I just thought of this this morning, and I, I, I tried to write it down, but I don't type very well. It, uh, what if he had said this? Love one another... Love one another with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Love one another. What if he had said that? Now you're talking impossible. Now you're at the center of that command to love each other. Now it's up to you. But like so many other things in the Bible, when Jesus said, you know, do this because I love you or do this because I've commanded you or do this, not because he's wanting to uh, uh, create some high bar that nobody else can get to, but he's creating something that you can do. Everybody in this room can change their affections. If you say, well, I can't, then you just need to keep, trust me, Keep reading your Bible, keep coming to church, listen to what I'm telling you, and over a lifetime, and it will take you a lifetime, it's not going to happen tomorrow, nobody is going to be able to get to the high level of spirituality that I'm at. It's just impossible. But uh, I, I jettisoned up there to this high level, this high rank, and I'm there today. And uh, the only one that uh, comes close um, to being up there with me is Aaron, Pastor Aaron, all right? Right, brother? We're way up at the top. You, just, you need to just give up. There's no way. Now, of course, you're going to spend your whole life doing this. Every moment of your life is going to be reordering your love, your affection, your thinking. All of it must change because there was nothing wrong. There was no disintegration in our thinking, in our minds, in our hearts, and all of that when we were created. 
We were created in God's image, and he's not a brain. He's not a rational, just rationality, all rationality. He has passion. He has compassion. He loves. He hates. He's jealous. He's wrathful. Let someone stretch out their hand to hurt you. As a, You're a child of God and they stretch out your hand to hurt you. The scriptures are rife with promises. I will repay. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Now you may not see it in this life. It may be nothing but injustice and unhappiness for us. But that's not where the story ends. The story ends with an eternal God who says, I will be just. I will not fail you. I will love you to the very end. And so we've got to change our thinking about what love is. It's not a, a feeling, a mushy thing that, you know, comes and goes, and, well, we just got to do something to get the spark back. Well, you know what? People that play with sparks, what happens to them? They burst into flame, and not a good way. So you don't want to play with sparks. Listen to what Dr. Pallison said. This comes from a, a little booklet that he did uh, on, on, on love and the conditionality of love, or the question, the subtitle, Is Love Unconditional? So listen. Unmerited grace is not strictly unconditional. You see, when God shows his grace to you, he doesn't just pull it out of nowhere. There's a reason why he shows his grace to you and I. There's a condition attached. Listen. While God's love does not depend upon what you do, in that sense it's unconditional, it very much depends on what Jesus Christ did for you. Are you with me? I'm asking you to think a little deeper this morning than just up here. While God's love does not depend on you or anything about you, it very much depends on what Jesus did for you. That is the gospel in one little sentence. In that sense, it's highly conditional. It cost Jesus his life. In fact, the love of God defined in the Bible contains the fulfillment, listen, of two conditions. For God to love contains two conditions. Perfect obedience. What we call active obedience in theology. Perfect obedience and a sin-bearing substitute. You've got to have those or there's no love. Because God is just and good and loving. And he has to do something with the horror that we have perpetrated on ourselves and on our creation and on the people around us. Something must be done or he's not loving. What if somebody breaks into your house and murders your, your family right in front of your eyes? What do you do? Go, oh gosh, I better love them. Well, you're going to spend every minute of the rest of your life wanting to get vengeance, yeah? Which you won't ever be able to do. And why Jesus said, trust me, I'll take care of all that. Trust me, and I will do what is right. 
Jesus, by his very act of active obedience to the will of God, demonstrated and earned, listen, he earned the verdict righteous. Like R.C. Sproul famously said, Dr. Sproul would say, we're saved the old-fashioned way. We're saved by works. But they're not your works. You're saved by someone else's perfect obedience. You're saved by someone else who had the power to escape death and said, no, I will receive death. I will passively let myself go into the, uh, uh, the hands of the Romans and the religious Jewish religious leaders. I will give my, I could call angels. I could get my army to come. They were there when I was born. But I will passively let them take my life. And upon that condition, Jesus satisfied all of God's will for us and as us. Otherwise, we're just on our own. His consistent obedience to God's conditions is reckoned to us by free grace. By definition, grace is nothing you can't do to get it. It's something Jesus did for you, and then you get it. And because of what that does to our psyche, to our mind, to our hearts, to our inner being, it's, calling being, it's called being born again. When that takes a hold of you, something new happens. There's a new motive, a new birth. We are born again. And he didn't do, he didn't, he didn't fulfill the conditions so you wouldn't have to. He fulfilled the conditions of perfect obedience and perfect sacrifice so that we could without fear perfect love casts out fear yes john said that this author jesus in his passive obedience suffered the penalty of a bloody death the substitutionary lamb took the death penalty as a condition for our freedom So the love of God contains two conditions fulfilled as it is handed freely to you and I unconditionally with respect to anything you and I have done. God's love contains the death and life of Jesus. Unconditional love, listen, unconditional love, no. No, no, something so much better, so much more valuable, so much more, so much weightier. Unconditional love says, I really just accept you the way you are, and I don't really care what happens to you after that. I'm just going to show how nice I am, and I'm not going to put any requirements on you uh, because. It didn't really cost me anything. It's unconditional. Here you go. Have it. It's no big deal. But folks, it's not the Bible I have in my hands. The Bible in my hands has somebody at the center of that chiasm. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another.
What is the condition that Jesus is laying before you and I to love one another? Try harder, do better, have more emotion, sacrifice. What, what, what is really behind it? And this brings us to the last part. Listen carefully. I hope this this will change your life. When I read uh, Pallison's book on our little uh, article on unconditional love, it changed everything I thought about love. How are you going to love so that the world knows that we follow our Savior? God so loved, in this way he loved, he gave his son. We know that. Here's what C.S. Lewis says, and I'll, clo- I'll close with this. This is up from the uh, Four Loves. I don't know if any, have any of you read The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. He talks about the four Greek words, uh, storge, eros, agape, and phileo, the four Greek words for love. And he goes and he explains all of it. And it, it's a wonderful, in fact, this quote comes from page 169. Just so you know that, that these things really, they make an impact, right? Here's what C.S. Lewis said about love, and it is amazing. Listen, and I'll finish with this. Love anything, love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung, possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. You must wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. Then it's safe. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, It will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. Love is going to cost. It's going to be costly. And Jesus' commandment that we love one another as he loved us is for you to understand what he means when he says, as I've loved you, love one another. To accept Listen, folks, to accept those conditions and say, yeah, there is a cost to him loving me. There's a condition, and this is a commandment. How am I going to do this? Is it an impossibly high bar, or is it possible? And I'm going to tell you why I think it's possible that we can do it in our church, in our life, And to other people, that it's not some impossibility, but we can do it, and here's why. How do we do it? Because to love anyone else 
to love another person as Jesus loved them will cost you nothing. Do you understand? It will cost you nothing to love as he loved. Why? Because it cost him everything. That's the whole point of him saying, love as I love you. I'm going to pay the cost. I'm going to meet the conditions. I'm going to do what is necessary so that you don't have to be afraid to open up your life and get hurt. You don't have to be afraid to to join a church and let the elders and deacons and women's council speak love into your life and care about you and come around and say, you don't have to be constantly at battle with everybody, your wife, your husband, your boss, your politics, whatever. We don't have to be at constant war with everything and everybody. God can put together the pieces of Humpty Dumpty. He can bring us back together because he loved us this way. Now, there's no fear in love. We don't have to be afraid. Will you get hurt? Absolutely. C.S. Lewis said it. He was right. But Jesus is not saying love as best you can or love like, you know, with all your heart and strength and mind. So he's not saying that. He's putting a condition. He's saying love as I've loved. In other words, every moment of your life when you're asked to love somebody else, you're looking at him first. You're looking at everything and everybody through that lens. And that makes it doable. That makes it possible. He's not setting before you an impossibility. He met the conditions. Your heart, lock it up, it will become unbreakable. His heart, was broken. His life, C.S. Lewis says, hide everything so nothing can touch it. His life was poured out. Nobody, no human being that has ever lived has poured out their lives like he poured out his life. You can't. He suffered the vagaries of hell on the cross, not so we wouldn't have to, but so we could. So when he commands us, love one another as I've loved you, love one another, we can go with that commandment instead of seeing it way up here where nobody can reach it. I can reach that. Because every moment of every day, where is your Savior? Where is he? He's in you. You're born again. And he will never leave you or forsake you. So it doesn't take but a second to look to him. Will you trust him? I hope you will. Father, we certainly do uh, love you. We love you with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. We do. And whenever anything pokes its head up and competes with that, we want to be ready to smack it down and say no. We want to love as you've loved us, knowing that you've fulfilled every condition and the cost, 100%.
borne by you. Help us, save us, and have mercy on us, O God, according to your grace.